If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dana Weeks and Dave Woodard. Thanksgiving weekend. Post-COVID-19 mandate edition is here. That is no excuse to bring back the wet, sloppy, I don't know you relative kiss. Oh, oh, here. Oh. Scott Thompson. A little harsh, isn't it? Get over there and give Aunt Nancy a big sloppy wet one. Come on. Like you mean it. Come on, what are you running away for? Put down that video game. All right, uh, good afternoon. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, the gang's all here. Feel free to jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, send us a note. Tell us what you're doing. Thanksgiving, is it back to normal for you? Are you torqued up? Are you ready to go? Uh, mandate-free, as they say. Lots of interesting things going on. Uh, the Pfizer booster has been approved. So Moderna's was approved a while ago. That's what Daddy's got in his arm. Look at it right there. Ow! Oh no, sorry. I'm just uh, milking that. Um, I got the uh, I got the Moderna, so I now have uh, three different shots running through my veins, <laughs> and I'm proud about that because I've got uh, I've got everything on the Mandarin buffet, you might say. I've had it all from one end to the other, and uh, I'm not a baby boomer, so I didn't qualify for the Pfizer. So AstraZeneca started me off, then of course went to Pfizer for two more, and then circled back around and thinking, "Ah, oh, I haven't sampled the Moderna. <laughs> Looks okay to me. Let's have a go." So uh, here we are, and uh, of course, uh, the you know, days I got it. I got it like yesterday. My arm's still like a little. Mm, I'm fine. Uh, so now <laughs> it's the booster, but you know, I feel good. I've got the full meal deal. I got everything. I got a big, I got a bit of everything working for me now. Uh, and, and, and that's a good thing. Is it not? Uh, all right. The, uh, issues for hockey Canada seem to be increasing. We'll be talking about that coming up a little later on. Uh, speaking of, um, you know, in the announcement about boosters and so on, all the doctors now they have masks, like we're, we're seeing the, uh, deputy public health officer and, uh, and the, and the health minister up there. And now they're wearing masks and it's like, well, you didn't have a mask on last week. What do you got a mask on now for? And it's because they're talking about vaccines, I guess. Uh, here's what the deputy public health officer had to say about getting your booster. If it has been six months or more since your last vaccine dose or COVID-19 infection, it is time to get another dose. This is especially important if you are 65 years of age or older or have medical conditions that place you at high risk for severe illness from COVID-19. I am pleased to share that Canada will have enough supply of the Omicron targeting bivalent vaccines to cover the anticipated demand for fall boosters. And the reason that you really couldn't hear him that clear is because he's speaking with his mask on, which he didn't have on the last time he spoke to us. So why does he have it on now? Because it's going to confuse some people. Uh, anyway, uh, there you go. Uh, and then here's what the uh, deputy public health officer had to say in regard to if you got your uh, booster or whatever with the old juice instead of the new uh, Moderna or Pfizer that has uh, just been approved. Like, did you jump the gun? No, no, no. Here's what he had to say. I know that some of you have already received an original mRNA vaccine for your fall booster. Evidence continues to show 
that original mRNA vaccines provide good protection against serious illness and hospitalization, including from Omicron infection. If you recently received an original mRNA vaccine for your fall booster, you do not need to receive a bivalent Omicron targeting booster at this time. So there's the doctor and the health minister, both with masks on, telling us, um, you know, about the new boosters. And then I've just finished watching the prime minister and the deputy prime minister who just gave a news conference. I'm presuming it's in the same, you know, not the same building, certainly same city. And they weren't wearing a mask. So why is the Deputy Prime Minister and the Prime Minister not wearing a mask at their news conference, but yet the head doctor and the head minister of health are wearing one when they're telling you to get the next booster shot? And they're wondering why people are skeptical over this sort of thing. Anyway, I would suggest you get your booster. I got mine. I'm fine. It's all good. Uh, but anyway, the, the, you know, the wacky games continue. I think after two and a half years, um, uh, at least the citizenry have figured all of this out. All right. And on, uh, and on a much happier note, on a much happier note, the Blue Jays, of course, taking on Seattle, uh, coming up in the wild card opener a little later on this afternoon in just under an hour. Uh, they were all doing, uh, uh, not all, but they were, uh, many of them were doing news conferences this morning and talking to, uh, uh, the media about the, the whole idea. Here is Alec Manoa on the pressure they're feeling. To be honest with you, uh, my high school coach used to say pressure is something you put in your tires. So, uh, this is just baseball. There's just a game. Just got to go out there and have some fun and uh, leave the pressure for your tires. <laughs> wow. Ain't that cool? Uh, maybe that's why this team's doing as well as it, uh, as it is. Cause if you watch them, uh, there certainly is, uh, a lot of fun going on in the dugout. So it's going to be fascinating. We'll keep you updated with that, uh, coming up uh, a little later on. Also, brother Richard McVie is going to be joining us from Good Shepherd. It is Thanksgiving. They've got their 60th annual Thanksgiving dinner going on. We'll talk about that. Also, uh, SpaceX and NASA, where they are with, uh, you know, floating around above us and some changes in Alberta. We'll talk about that coming up uh, a little later on as well. Also, the price of Thanksgiving, uh, Polyev and hashtag troubles he has. Who is this guy hanging out with? And uh, more on the Arrive Can app and how much costs, and how much it costs, and Hockey Canada and its fate moving forward. It's amazing uh, they still haven't come out and, um, and taken a step backwards. Uh, but I'm sure that is coming. This weekend, obviously Thanksgiving weekend, and for many of us, uh, it's it's well more more normal than it used to be last year. We'll put it at that. So a lot of people getting out and about, and of course, it also means uh, great things for the people at Hamilton's Good Shepherd where they are preparing their 60th annual Thanksgiving dinner. 60th annual Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, enough for about 600 we hear. Brother Richard McPhee is with us, Chief Executive Officer of Hamilton's Good Shepherd and he's here now. Brother Richard, thanks so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am well, Scott. Yourself. So far, so good. Thanks for taking the time. So obviously, with the la- with the uh, global pandemic, the last few years, couple of years, uh, have been uh, a, a real challenge. But now with this year, uh, as things are slowly getting back to what we hope is the new normal, uh, you're dealing with costs. How is this year different from past years for you, Richard? 
Well, first of all, I think that, you know, like everyone that's uh, affected by this pandemic and what we're experiencing in our economy right now is that rising costs are continuing to affect organizations like Good Shepherd, but affecting everyone. And so the the cost of uh, putting on meals and putting uh, the services forward for people who are in need in our community continue to rise just like everywhere else. On top of that, we're dealing with the challenges of trying to find people to work with us and to work for us. Uh, our volunteers are slowly coming back, but we still continue to are struggling with, you know, various employees that haven't been able, that no longer work for us and trying to replace them, it's become a challenge. And one of those things is particularly in our kitchens at uh, Good Shepherd on Mary Street. And how will that affect this year? Um, are you going to get as many dinners prepared as normal? Will you make it happen like you do every year? We're making it happen, and the reason it's happening right now, Scott, is because I did the cooking. I started this morning. And so <laughs> I, I rolled up my sleeves and went into the kitchen, which is sort of in some ways where I began my religious life as a young brother, where we did everything for everybody. And now we uh, you know, often have our, our coworkers doing those things, but this year it's not the same. So uh, I had to pull out some old skills and uh, uh, help with some volunteers in terms of prepping some of the stuff for Monday. That being said, this isn't your first rodeo. You're certainly at home there. I am. I, I know how to cook. And so I, and I know how to work a, a slicer and how to work big steam pots and, and, and uh, combi ovens and all those things. So those are things that somehow or another are in my bag of tricks as I've worked with the poor for these last number of years. So shortage of staff, shortage of volunteers, uh, rising prices, and I'm ge- I'm guessing there is no shortage of people coming through your door. That's what's that like this year, considering where we've come out of this pandemic. You know, the the pandemic has really shown uh, some of the real challenges that we as a community are facing, and particularly in the area of homelessness. Uh, we all of our shelters are full. Most of the shelters in the city are full, and as you well know, and we've been running overflow shelters for both women and men in our community. On top of that, we are seeing, you know, on average, and additionally new families, up to 100 new families each month uh, coming to us for groceries, and our meal programs continue to see unprecedented numbers. And it seems, you know, we talk about this every year, whether it's at Christmas time or on the Tree of Hope or around Thanksgiving or such. We've always seen the demand, but boy, you throw in what we've been through in the last couple of years, and I bet you it, it's, um, I can't imagine how you're getting it done. Well, it's not only just the fact that people are on, you know, continue to be on uh, subsistence in terms of their own, if they're on any kind of disability pension or or assistance from our government. But on top of that, as everybody knows, the rising costs of rent in the Hamilton community is astronomical. And many of the folks really are really, really, really struggling even to either one, put a roof over their heads or put food in their stomachs. So it's been a real, real challenge for many families and individuals and I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen these unprecedented numbers of, of people um, ending up in our streets and coming to shelters like Good Shepherd. Talk about the history of this dinner, the 60th annual. Yeah, our brothers came to Hamilton in 1961 to respond to the needs of basically homeless men that were on our streets. And that was a small shelter with a, a, a meal program that you know fed maybe 
50 to 80 people each day. Our ministry now has grown basically what we say is from cradle to grave or from breath to breath. We look after uh, teenage moms and their babies all the way to those who are dying in, at our Emmanuel House Hospice. And in between, we provide housing for people with serious mental health issues, crisis intervention in our Braird Center, emergency shelters for women and children, for uh, families, for youth, for men, and, and particularly shelters for women who are in their children who are fleeing domestic violence. And now a number of myriad of, of health programs that uh, try to deal with some of the primary care issues of individuals who find themselves in need and how we might be able to do that. More recently, we've been really working on the area of seniors, and we have a, a, a seniors center in which we provide daycare services, and on top of that, are providing care for seniors in their homes and in their own apartments. So it's really a, 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 a service that has grown in our, in our community, both health and social services-wise, but it's only grown because of the challenge, the the not only the the challenges that we've been faced, but also the fact that this community has been generous to us, and we've been able to uh, respond to the needs of those who find themselves um, coming to Good Shepherd for assistance. And how can Hamiltonians help Good Shepherd at this point? Sure, people can drop off food at our Venture Center, which is at one fifty five Venture uh, one fifty five Ken Street East or at our 135 Mary Street location. People could also make a monetary donation by go going on uh, GSCH, which is G Good Shepherd Center Hamilton, gsch.ca, or calling our, um, our, our development office, which is 905-528-6565 and making a monetary donation. We, we, anything helps and we really appreciate the generosity that Hamilton has um, continue to show to us as an organization and con continues to show to those men, women, and children that we're privileged to serve each day. Brother Richard McPhee with us, uh, Chief Executive Officer of Hamilton's Good Shepherd, as they prepare for their, as he prepares for their 60th annual Thanksgiving dinner. Brother Richard, thanks so much for the time. Good luck this year. Thanks a lot, Scott. Have a great Thanksgiving. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We certainly know about the tensions here on Earth, specifically with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and where that has left world tensions. However, uh, if you leave the atmosphere or, uh, or certainly the planet, you will, uh, you'll find a different scenario. As we talked earlier this week, SpaceX and NASA getting together with a crew that can, consists of uh, Russia, Japan and America, all heading to the International Space Station. So considering where we are, how does that complicate things, uh, especially with world politics, or is this a unifier? Uh, to talk more about all of this, uh, Ram Jaku with us, professor researching in international space law at McGill University and is with us now. Ram, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you very much. So how does this situation happening here on Earth complicate what's going on uh, up towards the International Space Station? Well, I think the decisions are made on Earth. That is very, we should keep in mind, decision to get this crew, mixed crew together to go to space is, is important. So what I'd like to see is the decisions are made in Earth on Earth so that we can uh, get together in space. 
So I personally find it is fascinating news because any ray of uh, bright light in darkness is always or should be always uh, uh, appreciated. So any positive step towards cooperation should be appreciated. So I am very happy to hear that kind of cooperation between Russia and the West and the United States. Obviously, these plans were put in place long ago, uh, considering what happens with world events. Uh, that being said, um, it, you know, it's different to, you know, to pull the plug on something as opposed to do this again uh, moving forward. Do you think this is the last time we will see this for a while, considering where we are with a Russian being in the International Space Station? Well, the space station is going to be there, say, 2024, 2025. Yeah. I personally don't think it is the last time. My view is that these countries will get together because they need each other. Their cooperation is indispensable for this, uh, perhaps the largest and the most expensive facility we have in, in the world. And, and so I don't think this is the last one. And um, I'm sure there will be more. Uh, but minor hiccup, hiccups here and there, I think they can be sorted out and they should be sorted out. I always find if there's a will, there's always a solution to the problems. Do you think this is a unifier then? Absolutely. Expand. Okay, so well, you know these these people got together there. They're working together. They understand each other. They they show they shake hands there, and that is a, the image which is sent to 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 people on Earth. So that is again they they, they represent their countries, no doubt about it. But they also represent the symbol of hope, uh, of a friendship, of unity. I think these symbols make a lot of difference, especially when it comes to space. Do you think the leaders are aware, uh, for, and obviously we can't put ourselves in, in anybody's uh, minds at this point, uh, but do you think, uh, you know, uh, the, the somewhere somebody is thinking we can't be letting this happening, uh, let this happen, or, or do you think the, the, they're even aware of this when they're talking about world policy? My view is that everybody's aware, especially the top level. Not only, mm -hmm. I'm not talking at the space agency level, at the government level, I think uh, the, the leaders are there. Of course, in any politics, any any organization, there are people who are pro and, and contra. There may be somebody uh, objecting to that. But I think to me that the end result is, is a very positive. As you just mentioned, uh, the space station getting towards the end of its life, as you said, 2025, um, I'm not sure where it's going to go beyond that. So where do you think these programs will go with this international community moving forward? Well, one thing is that for sure, the Russians are going to have their own space station. Yeah. And the Chinese are doing that. And I think Americans are going ahead of everybody. But I will say there will always be some way, some means, some opportunities for cooperation. Uh, because, see, here is a very important point I'm going to make. First thing is space is indispensable for humanity. We, the life we have, it, it heavily depends upon space. And it is also important to understand cooperation in space is equally and perhaps more indispensable. So I think the countries will find means and opportunities to cooperate. And the competition is good. I, I think we always believe in competition, for example, games. So long it is, is a healthy competition. Uh, of course, there are some, some bad you know, situations here and things like that, but that's what the humans are. Humans don't do everything bad, neither do everything good. So I, I will see this, this is a very positive step and I, I'm sure uh, it will be repeated in the future. It may not be in, in the immediate future, but it will be repeated.
Do you think we'll see the day when Americans are on other people's space stations? Oh, for sure. I'm very updated. How many Americans are traveling on the airlines of other countries today? Mm. So if they can do it, why not there? I mean, even even today, maybe we don't we don't realize that. You know how much trade is going on between Russia and the West even today? But mm. millions of dollars. The doors are not shut totally. So you talked about Russia and obviously China as well working on their own space station, China heading back to the moon as well, the dark side of the moon. How much of this information will be shared? How much of it, you know, will it be as collaborative as as the days of the International Space Station? I, not in the immediate future. I think the tense situation is pretty tense today. Uh, And I think it will take some time for countries to cool down. Uh, and, and they will come. But but who knows? Because, for example, the Chinese are going, the, the Americans are going to the moon. You know, who is going to be helping whom? What happens there? They will be there, only two people, the Chinese and the Americans, they will have to come to each other's help. Uh, so the necessity uh, will mm. demand cooperation. Uh, and, and I can tell you, nobody can be perfect in, in space, and everybody needs everybody's help. So cooperation, I say, is indispensable for space space explorations. What are your thoughts about companies like SpaceX and NASA joining forces and working together on these sorts of missions? Well, I think it's a very good, it's a positive step. I think private companies can do things better and faster and cheaper. But again, at the same time, you know, we already know uh, on, on this planet, the companies are sort of pretty bad. Uh, so you need the government or public policies uh, controlling their activities in a such a way that they remain um, helpful to, to the humanity. Uh, it, it's like any any regulations. We have regulations, all sorts of regulations. Take the example of a banks, for example. Uh, so those regulations must be in place uh, on, on, on the, the, the activities carried out by private companies in, in space. Uh, I will say... There should be public policy, public laws, uh, good enough, and allow the private companies to implement those those policies, uh, you know, there. So uh, I think there has to be cooperation with the governments and the private sector. Ram Jackie with us, professor researching in international space law from McGill University, talking about uh, SpaceX and NASA heading to the space station, representation from Japan, America, and Russia. Ram, thanks so much for the time, uh, time and insight. Be well. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much for having me. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right. Uh, last night out in Alberta, Daniel Smith wins the leadership for the UPC party and is the uh, premier of Alberta for uh, until the next election. And we see what happens from there. Um, many are saying that this changes the face of Alberta, changes the face of Alberta politics. Let's bring in Dwayne Pratt, Ph.D., professor of political science, Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University and is with us now. Dwayne, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah. Good afternoon, Scott. So your thoughts, is Alberta a different province today? Um, We'll have to see. Uh, Yes, we're about to have a new premier. Daniel Smith will be sworn in on 
Tuesday. Uh, the question is, does she actually pursue the things that she campaigned on and the things that she promised last night? So is there going to be a dramatic shakeup in Alberta Health Services? Is she going to fire the board? Is, uh, um, or is she going to give new instructions to them? Will she introduce the Sovereignty Act, which could nullify federal laws, federal court rulings, federal regulatory decisions? She has said that's a day one priority. Let's see what's in the legislation. So we'll get a better sense of these things uh, after she becomes premier. But based on the speech last night, it sounds like she is going ahead with what she campaigned on. Uh, this was close. Uh, obviously, uh, went a couple of ballots before a winner. Does that mean anything at this point now that she's the winner? Is that uh, yesterday's I, I news? This is the, the challenge is the United Conservative Party, despite the name, is not very united. Um, and, I mean, the whole reason they're having a leadership race is because the party uh, removed um, current Premier Jason Kenney in a leadership review back in, back in May. If she had won on a first ballot, uh, as Pierre Polyev did, that would show much stronger support. But she got 41% on the first ballot, and it took another five ballots before she surpassed the 50% level. So she barely has 50% support within the most committed members of the party. Um, that is a tough uh, mandate to go through what would be some really dramatic changes. Uh, and that's why we need to see what is the response of caucus. There was a press conference during the leadership race where four of the other opponents who all sit as members of the Legislative Assembly and, and were ex-cabinet ministers all criticized the Sovereignty Act. Do they say, well, we lost, therefore, you know, we need to vote for this? Or will they maintain that they'll vote against it? That will be a major test. What does her cabinet look like? There was clear outreach to her rivals last night and to other members of the party saying the slate is clean. Let's work together. Uh, they had a caucus meeting this morning. But once you, uh, every, so everything's hunky-dory right now, but once you make a cabinet, now you're making decisions. And so um, what the cabinet makeup is and uh, how and when and what is contained in the Sovereignty Act, those will be two things that I'm looking for, as well as do we see an exodus? Do we see a bunch of people say, I'm not going to run again in May of 2023 when the next election is scheduled for? Usually there's a, a, a turnover between elections. Uh, I've got data going back to 1971, and typically you know, 15 to 20 percent of MLAs simply don't run again. But if there starts to be a flood from a party that just formed and a party that just formed government in 2019, that sends a message as well. So those are the three things I'm going to be watching for so, now that uh, Smith is the leader. So uh, what are Albertans cautious about when it comes to Daniel Smith? Because obviously she's got a big voice, she's got a big voice for Alberta, and that will be heard in Ottawa. Why are Albertans cautious about her? So a uh, couple things. One is one is her track record, and I will say this has been a remarkable political uh, comeback by Daniel Smith. She was leader of the Wild Rose Party that probably could have won the election back in 2012, and there was a, a series of missteps in the last week of the campaign, and, and she lost that election. And then in 2014, when she was still leader of the Wild Rose, she led a floor crossing. 
to join the PCs, something that so upset Albertans that pretty much everybody associated with that deal lost their job, including Premier Jim Prentice. So there are questions about her political judgment. There's also questions about um, her COVID stance. The two things that animated her campaign were her opposition to COVID restrictions and the Sovereignty Act. On the COVID restrictions, polling has tended to show that about a third of Albertans thought that the government uh, went too far. Not just the federal government, but especially the provincial government under Kenny went too far with restrictions on church services and businesses and the like. About a third believed that the measures were appropriate, and about a third believed that they were insufficient, uh, that there should have been more masking, for example. Well, her supporters are in that one-third that believe that the government went too far. Uh, and so she has promised no more lockdowns, no more masks. Um, there will be uh, vaccine status will now be a form of discrimination. And so that has really galvanized her supporters, but it has bothered other members of the public. Dwayne Bratt with us, Ph.D., Professor of Political Science, Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies, Mount Royal University. Dwayne, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Have a great weekend. Okay, you too, Scott. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, we've heard lots of chatter about the price of everything and now the price of Thanksgiving. Why don't we start talking about the, about the price of Christmas and the holidays and such? Uh, and, uh, of course, many have talked about cutting back and, and so on and so forth. It was interesting because uh, the kids and I ordered out last night because we were just too lazy, and we debated actually going out uh, to this chain restaurant that we uh, the kids like, and we decided, no, nah, we're going to order in, and then you know me, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I didn't want to do the whole you know delivery, skip the dishes, my daughter convinced me to do it. That didn't. That wasn't expensive. What I noticed is when we went online to see the menu, it's like holy smokes, <laughs> the prices have gone up. And now I have noticed. I think the portions are getting bigger, but and that's a good thing. Or are they? I'm not sure. More fries with that. Um, but certainly the prices. Uh, you know, when you're getting a burger and fries and it's up over twenty bucks, you're thinking, oh my goodness, uh, we are at a different level now. Uh, let's bring in Bruce Winder, retail analyst and author of uh, Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19. He is with us now. Bruce, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the program. We're certainly hearing lots about rising prices. Is it getting to the point where it's actually changing behavior? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and that's what I was thinking when you were talking about your intro uh, through your intro. Is I think this we're at a point now where this is going to permanently change consumer behavior, um, where people are going to you know look for ways to save, and and maybe it's eating home less. Maybe it's eating different types of food. Whatever it is, people are going to make permanent changes in their lifestyle to accommodate, you know, this 10% increase in food year over year. I mean, that's just that's just massive, and it's it's really something that isn't sustainable. Um, now, obviously, you got to feel sorry for the hospitality industry and the beating that they've taken over a while uh, over the last little while, and obviously their costs are going up. But you mentioned an interesting point. Once we get into this groove, much like the pandemic, will we uh, will we change habits? Will we think twice? You know, oh, it's just way too expensive. I'm not going to bother. I think we will, unfortunately, and certainly it's not, you know, the hospitality industry's fault. They've faced massive inflation with input costs like ingredients mm -hmm. and labor and things like that. But it just comes to a point, you know, it's kind of like back in the 70s, you know, uh, without dating myself, you know, the energy crisis, people started buying smaller cars. 
They had to. People started biking to work. They had to because they just couldn't afford the gas price increases. And let's not forget, you know, when when inflation kind of tapers down to 2% again, it doesn't mean prices go back to normal. All it means is future prices are just a little higher instead of massively higher. Yeah, they're just not going up uh, as fast. What about Thanksgiving? Are there certain things? I mean, we've seen across the board all the, you know, this is going to cost more, that's going to cost more. Uh, What is most likely to be replaced this Thanksgiving, do you think? Well, I think the turkey might be replaced. I know that sounds odd, but, you know, know, there's an article that I referred to, I think it's from the, the Spectator today, that talked about, um, you know, just how people are maybe looking at putting chicken in instead of mm. turkey um, or other sources of protein, you know, or maybe even shrinking the number of guests that come over. I know that sounds funny, but just having less people over because um, pretty much everything across the board, according to this article, is up north of 10 percent, almost 20 percent in some cases. Is it going to require some sort of campaign to get people, because it's odd, Bruce, because at one time where we couldn't wait to get out, and then, you know, we get out, and it's like, oh, geez, it's expensive out here. Do you think it's, you know, because I remember even talking to the mayor of Niagara Falls, and he said uh, in order to get the Americans back after the travel apps or the travel uh, mandates were, were were dropped, he was saying we're going to need an advertising campaign in order to, to make them aware and get them back. Do you think the same thing is going to be needed here? I think it will be, you know, over time. Um, obviously, we got it just, just a few days, so this year it might not happen. But, you know, they're going to have to start sort of reinforcing that whole get-together thing. And, you know, post-pandemic, you know, let's get together. We haven't seen each other in three years. And sort of market the whole package as a get-together because, uh, you know, some people might even opt out of it, you know, um, because it's just it's just that expensive now. And everything adds up. You know, every everything is up somewhere. You know, my wife and I were talking the other day. Everything is higher now, it seems, across the yeah. board. So it just kind of uh, it kind of avalanches on you. Life has certainly changed during this pandemic. You can't go through something for two and a half years, come out the other end and be the same. Do you think there's still many changes to come? We're not there yet. Yeah, I think you're, you know, because what's, what's happening when I, when I read the papers and things is Canadians have kind of burnt down a lot of the savings that they had uh, during the pandemic and have really started to accumulate a lot of debts. So unfortunately, I think you're going to see some tough times come up. And, and obviously, the Bank of Canada has had to increase inflation to try to tame, uh, sorry, increase bank rates to try to tame inflation. Well, that's going to cause some problems as it relates to GDP growth, and there's going to be folks losing their job. So, you know, the other shoe's going to drop here in terms of economic slowdown, and that's going to open up a whole new can of problems on that side. Can't let you go, Bruce, without asking you about the credit card fees uh, being passed on the on to the consumer. This, was, uh, this came out this week. Do you think it's going to have much of an impact, or is that already baked in? Well, the, the costs were already baked in. You know, about 20% of businesses are going to increase them. Um, 40% are kind of waiting and seeing, and, you know, 20% are going to say, I'm going to see what my com- competition does. Times are pretty tough. You're going to see some, some companies doing it, particularly those that aren't in the customer facing area, like those who aren't in restaurant and retail. Hmm. Bruce Winder with us, retail analyst and author retail before, during and after COVID-19 as always, Bruce, thanks for the time. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, you too. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk politics and bring in Tim Powers, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data, and he is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. 
I'm feeling all intimidated, Scott, hearing that introduction. I mean, if you don't get answers, you keep going. So I better be on my eight. <laughs> hey, we're heading into a weekend. What the heck? A long one at that. Uh, it's never that serious. But let's talk about Pierre Polyevro. What does this guy have to do to stay away from bad people and keep his nose clean? Why does he go? I think one of the journalists said, why well, is he always winking at these people? Uh, why do this? Does he need to do this to beat the prime minister? I don't think he does. Um, I, I mean, I find all this very strange. Um, it, I, again, this whole the, the geotags that were put on the YouTube videos. Uh, I mean, simple thing to say now, uh, if he continues to do this, he will not win. This will be his undoing. Um, if he is can move past that, this, past this, and whatever else may come about as you say, winking at uh, unsavory characters. Um, he's going to have to do that if he wants to be successful. Does he realize that, and, and you know, you could probably say this about the leader before him and the leader before him, if he just keeps his nose clean, he'll win this thing. Does he realize that it is his to lose? I, I think he's probably getting more of that realization. Um, but uh, as you rightly point out, the undoing of conservatives is when they begin to play to their uh, worst instincts of, you know, push hard, go there, let's play this right on the edge. And uh, But uh, but he's got smart people around him. Um, you know, Jenny Byrne, who will probably run the national campaign, has won campaigns and won them for Doug Ford and, and Stephen Harper. Uh, and in the case of Doug Ford uh, and, and Harper in 11, both were one in large measure because they stayed closer to the middle and were predictable. It's the unpredictable stuff and the the uh, the the association with unsavory characters that gets you in trouble. Is this just going to keep coming back? This in cryptocurrency to you know between the cryptocurrency and the convoy, he's done. I mean, really? Yeah. I, I look. I. I mean, the the convoy stuff here in Ottawa is still pretty raw. I mean, you know, it takes a long time for people to heal. I think in this city about all of that. Um, the crypto is, you know, who knows what's going to happen with crypto? Crypto starts to increase in its value. Maybe it's less potent. It's the hot stuff for now. Can it, you know, be strung out for two years? I don't necessarily believe so. Will anybody care about the convoy in two years? Maybe not the way they do now. Time will tell on that one, and same with crypto. All right, uh, here we are heading into a Thanksgiving, the first one in an awfully long time where we're not mandated up the yin-yang, and it should be at least close to somewhat yes, normal. To see human beings, not wear masks, and not socially yes. distance. Crazy stuff, Scott. Except for the wet, sloppy kiss. My boy doesn't want to see that going on with the relatives. But anyway, I digress. So here is a perfect example of political mixed messaging to me. Uh, today we saw the, um, hang on, was it, it was, uh, Dr. Uh, Supriya, and we also saw the chief medical officer, um, uh, both, uh, announcing about the Pfizer and encouraging us to get a booster. They were both at the microphone wearing masks. So they didn't even take off the mask with no one else around them to have their news conference, which is what they would do in the old days. They'd show up with masks and they'd take them off to speak then put them back on. They just kept them on yeah. the whole time. Then like 10 minutes later, there's Justin Trudeau and the Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, talking about Iran, and they're doing a news conference. Same thing, no masks. 
So what are we doing here, Tim? I mean, again, I just got my booster the other day, the new Moderna one. I've had all three, AZ, Pfizer, uh, you know, I'm a, and Moderna. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a well-rounded vaccinated guy, <laughs> but I am tired of this crap. I've had four. I hear you. I, I mean, the mask stuff is a bit befuddling, but I think medical professionals are going to stick pretty close to the line on all of that and send a signal that, look, we're okay wearing it. You can be, too. But the politicians are going to be much more cautious because of the symbolism of that. You know, I think the mask for a lot of people symbolizes the uh, the, the angst of the pandemic, the fact that we're still in the pandemic, which we are. Uh, mind you. Um, so, yeah, you're going to, I'm sorry, buddy, confusion is going to be your your companion over the next number of months because medical professionals will stick close to the line. Probably they should or stay on the line. Probably they should. Uh, and speaking of lost count, I'm sorry, I'm incorrect. I, I got the first two doses, then I got the booster as the third, then I just got the new yeah, one four, with yeah, everyone. So I'm up to <laughs> four pack now. There you go. All right. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Daniel Smith winning the UPC leadership in Alberta. I remember we God, used to sign. It's your we- opportunity. I used to do Danielle's show with her. I mean, you get sick of doing this and, 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 and fronting great big seas. You've been doing so well. You, too, can be a premier. Look, um, having known Danielle a little bit through doing the radio show uh, and uh, and watching her political career, I think she's not going to step back too much. I mean, this whole Alberta Sovereignty Act notion that she put forward in the campaign, that if Alberta didn't like laws Ottawa brought forward, she wouldn't support them. I mean, that's crazy, and, it, and it's not constitutional. Even Jason Kenney called it stupid. But I think she's going to try and continue to push the Alberta first stuff while not uh, and not advocating full separation. Um, and she's going to try and play off of that because there's certainly discontent in some of the rural areas. She also had to do that because, as you'll recall, she folded the Wild Rose into the PCs, basically put her career in the dumpster for a little while. Uh, so she has to show she's still got some of those bona fides there. She's a smart person. She's an able person. Uh, the question will be how hard is she going to push and with that pushing, what's that going to mean for Alberta? For the longest time, we did simulcasted shows, the two of us, between oh, yeah. Calgary and Hamilton. Yeah, so, they, yeah they she's very... Soul. Like, I got a lot of... Yeah. She's smart. She, you know, I don't think she's hardcore right as she's being described. Nobody yeah. ever is. But uh, she's, she, you know, she, she has watched politics, been in politics, knows politics. There's no reason she can't be successful. Uh, what's going to matter is how she decides what what she's going to wait and what she's going to um, punch and puncture and push forward. How is Ottawa viewing this? Do they care? Ontario, uh, Quebec uh, with Legault, and now this one. How is Ottawa viewing this? Yeah, I think, look, uh, no surprise, Justin Trudeau has always been a cheerleader for Rachel Notley and Rachel Notley for Justin Trudeau. I think they view the election of Daniel Smith as an opportunity for Rachel Notley to get reelected. They're keeping quiet, not giving her ammunition right now, but I'm sure they have their fingers, toes, the bungee cord, everything else crossed, hoping that, uh, <laughs> that uh, Daniel Smith will, uh, will fail and Rachel Notley will be back in power. Okay, you brought it up. That was the bungee cord, and it was before he announced the 300 or however many million dollars for uh, maritime relief after Fiona. Uh, does that mean there's an election coming? <laughs> 
I don't think so yet, because Polyev's recent spate of polls have been pretty good, right? So the liberals, I don't think, are suicidal at this point. But I mean, that whole bungee cord thing, in fairness to Justin Trudeau, he can't win uh, anymore. That's his own fault, mind you. I'm not excusing him for that. But if he wanted to go bungee cord jumping with his kids, who the hell cares? I mean, maybe they shouldn't have the video, but who could blame the company for trying to showcase it and see if it lands them some customers? Oh, I'm sure the PR department had nothing to do with it, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do bungee cord. My God, I do a lot of crazy things. His dad went for a walk in the snow. Maybe he goes for a jump off a bridge. (laughs) As long as he's attached to a cord, Scott, you don't want to get yourself in trouble here. Tim Powers, Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data. Tim, as always, thank you so much, and have yourself a great long weekend. You too, buddy. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Tonight, you can catch the uh, McMaster Marauders uh, take it on the Guelph Griffins, and Ted Michaels is going to be calling the action. Coming off a of 47-14 shellacking by Western last week, the Marauders now find themselves uh, of having to win the last remaining games in order to have any, short, uh, any sort of playoff berth. To talk more about all of this, it's coming up uh, 6.30 uh, right here on CHML. Uh, the Mac Marauders taking on Guelph Griffins, starring Mr. Ted Michaels, veteran reporter, uh, greatest Hi. newsroom DJ. Did Who wrote this? And uh, calling the McMaster Marauder games. Ted, how are you? It is great to talk to you again. Well, hello there, Scott. How are you? I know at this time of the night we're probably pulling you away, away from your air fryer, uh, you know, before the big, <laughs> uh, your big pre, uh, pre-game dinner. What did you have in the air fryer tonight? Uh, well, I'm, I'm here at Guelph. After I finish with you, I'm going to go see if there's some food. I understand there's a couple of food kiosks around here. Miles, my uh, my partner in crime, loves hot dogs, so I guess that's what i got to do. Go find Miles. As long as he's happy and eating hot dogs, that's all that matters. So all right. that's the thing. Plus the fact that they got the barbecues going outside, I can go warm up because it is cold here in Guelph this afternoon. It certainly is football weather. How do you explain the Mac Marauders? I know you're calling the games. I didn't realize you were playing. Uh, they're having a difficult time this year. Yes, they are. They uh, got caught with a, a situation after game two uh, where they were one and one, and then um, an ineligible player um, ended up being on the roster. It was an oversight. Head coach Steph Patasic said, I'll, I'll take the fall for that. So basically what it comes down to is this. There are three games left tonight against Guelph. Next Saturday in Kingston against uh, the Queens Gales, and then uh, the week after that at home to the U of T Blues. If the Marauders have any chance of even hoping for a playoff berth, they have to win out. They have to start tonight. They're one and four, as are the Guelph Griffins. So Guelph's also battling for their playoff lives. So you got two teams that have nothing to lose. And I would suggest uh, for football aficionados, the first victory tonight will be whoever wins the coin toss. They will take the wind in the second half because it is really gusting here in Guelph today. So, uh, you mean, this isn't your first rodeo. What are your predictions here? Can they can they pull off something? I think Mac wins tonight, and then it comes down to the crucial game next Saturday against uh, the Queens Gales at Kingston. There, it's a very very good football team. So, I really think Mac um, 
I don't think uh, there's going to be a home field advantage tonight, Scott, because it's Thanksgiving weekend. Talking to some of the Guelph people, they say they walked around the campus at noon today. There's nobody here. Everybody yeah. took off home for, for the holidays, so they'll be the real diehards tonight. But I really think Mac will come off that uh, shellacking, as you called it last week, against Western. Um, I think Mac can do some, some damage against this Guelph defense. And uh, same thing first, uh, my you know, people I talk to here at Guelph uh, very quietly have said this team uh, tends to not uh, really put their mind in it. But once they start losing, especially offensively, their uh, body language says a lot. So I think if Matt can jump on them early, I think it's going to be a good night for the Marauders. All right, 6.30 tonight on no, CHML. No, 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 6 o'clock no, oh, on 6 CHML.com. I'm sorry. That's, oh, it, I'm sorry about that, Ted. I was, 6 o'clock kickoff. CHML.com because on 900CHML will be the Tiger Cat game. It's confusing, I know. There'll be a quiz on this afterwards. I'm just reading what's written in front of me, Ted. Well, Uh, (laughs) so that uh, that aside, how have you been? What's it like for you to get back behind the microphone? I know that you retired, uh, what was it, uh, 59, 60? I can't remember the year. Uh, What's it been like for you to come back and do this? You know, it's fun. It's it's fun being on on campus. Driving up today, I had forgotten how uh, how um, gorgeous this campus is. Uh, you know, drive around. There's so much land here at Guelph, and uh, such a beautiful campus with uh, buildings. And it, that's that's the neat thing. We get a chance to go and visit all the uh, other schools in the province. And uh, you know, you you see Guelph, and you see, for example, going next week to Kingston. I look forward to seeing the uh, facilities up there and and the buildings and. It makes me feel very humble, Scott, that I didn't have the brains to go to university. So this is probably as close as I'll ever get. It is a very cool feeling when you walk into those institutions, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of history. You know, tradition, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I'm i amazed at, the, uh, at, at all the student-athletes in all sports that can combine playing a sport almost on a full-time basis and going to school and keeping their grades up, which, of course, is very important. And then they graduate with a degree and move on to whatever part of their life is next. So it's, uh, I have real respect for all of them. All right, uh, Mac Marauders, Guelph Griffins, uh, 900CHML.com, 6 o'clock, Ticats yes. after that on yep. the mothership, 900CHML.com. Ted, it's absolutely fabulous All to right. uh, be talking to you again. Don't eat too many hot dogs. You'll get a tummy ache. Uh, and uh, good luck with the game tonight. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. See you later. <laughs> All right. You're welcome. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We certainly know the international tensions uh, that are going on, uh, starting with Russia invading Ukraine. And um, it just, well, at one time it was going to be over in a few days, uh, then a few months. Uh, now I think we're working on to uh, our eighth month with this. And you know, after annexation of four regions uh, earlier on last week, and now more chatter of nuclear warfare with U.S. President Biden using the term Armageddon. Uh, Too soon, uh, a little dramatic, or very accurate in describing the situation. Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. He is with us now. Elliot, thank you for your time. Hope you're well. Well, thank you. Same to you, Scott. So your thoughts on the word Armageddon, uh, Biden saying this is the biggest threat since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Your thoughts, is that the right word? Unfortunately, I said the same thing, I think, with you some weeks ago now. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, um, a lot of people must be listening to our show. I think you so. Know, here we are on the cusp of a Thanksgiving weekend, 
uh, and we're talking about Armageddon. I think mm. just at the stop uh, at the top, we should reflect on what how much we do have to be thankful for in this world, which does have increasing nuclear clouds uh, potentially gathering. So a moment to say, you know, thanks for what we've got and to appreciate every day. Yes, I think the the situation has gotten uh, increasingly dire in terms of all the things we look for and in terms of the, the ultimate, that is, the possibility we will allow the nuclear genie to escape the bottle and lead to, as the Secretary General of the United Nations has said, we are just one mistake, one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. Uh, that's from the Secretary General of the UN. What we are seeing now going on in Russia is that the war clearly is going badly. There's division within the ranks, apparently, inside Russia now. A lot of recriminations now that it's not going well. Some of the most stalwart components of the support base, not the support base, the fighting base, uh, and those who are willing to commit troops are now um, divided among themselves. The Wagner group, the Wagner group, uh, is now purely a creation of Mr. Putin, uh, is now making noises uh, against other components of the military, saying they're not doing their part. So the situation is not going well for Russia. As it goes uh, increasingly badly, it does raise the prospect that out of desperation, there will be a use of nuclear weapons uh, in in wartime for the first time since the end of the Second World War. And for the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, which you alluded to, uh, that moment seems to be approaching. Uh, we've talked uh, many times in the past about whether Putin's bluffing. He was throwing these words around a long time. This is the first time we've sort of, sort of heard the U.S. president use a term like this. Does this mean... Uh, things are different now. Does this does the use of this term mean that uh, he may be changing his strategy or the West might be changing their strategy? Well, the West uh, had a choice to make once the annexation of these, you know, after the sham referendums, after Mr. Putin said all those pieces of Ukrainian territory where we occupy, or which we claim to occupy, are now Russian territory and we will use all means, meaning nuclear, uh, to defend them. The choice was then up to Ukraine and the West, and of course the U.S. in particular, to say, okay, uh, until now, the West has really backed, NATO has really backed the uh, Ukrainian forces, particularly as they've done better and better, but they've never been allowed to directly use weapons provided by the West to attack Russia, because that would lead to World War III. Now, all this new territory is Russian, would this was a week ago, would that mean Ukraine would no longer attack them using those weapons? And would the West then say, you cannot attack them using our weapons? We have the answer to that. Ukraine has continued to attack and advance. Uh, they're making further advances in the, in the north, uh, roughly the north, and then some now uh, around Kherson. There's even a chance Kherson itself, which is heavily dug in by Russia, uh, might actually come up under Ukrainian control once again. So we have a situation where the big question initially was, once this was done, these annexations, these sham things, would it make a difference? So far it has not. 
But that being said, as you said, um, uh, is this the excuse that Putin needs? Uh, He goes in and annexes regions that he knows Ukraine will take back. But as soon as Ukraine goes to take them back, all of a sudden it's not uh, territory the way it was a week ago. All of a sudden it's Russian territory, therefore giving Putin the excuse to use the weaponry he needs. Is Is that where we're going here? Well, that is certainly that's certainly the state of play. That is, that's what Russia has said on the one side. And now we see the response quite clearly. uh, The West is still constraining Ukraine from using all the power it could in behind the lines in across the Russian border where the uh, heavy artillery is still pounding away on Ukrainian territory and also all the ammunition dumps, all the coordination is going on there. One of the fascinating things uh, we just picked up, uh, Scott, is that a lot of the weapons that the Ukrainians are currently using very effectively, a significant portion of those are captured Russian munitions. That is, the heavy weaponry, the tanks and uh, some of the artillery and so forth, are things that basically the Russians dropped and ran uh, as the breakthrough occurred just a couple of weeks ago now. So the, uh, the fact that the Russians are so disorganized and that they seem to be, in, in certain areas anyway, on the run. And we know there's been now tremendous pushback inside Russia for the first time. We talked about this perhaps as well. This mobilization really showed uh, that the faction backing um, military expansion, that is the, the, the hardliners, had gained control over the political advisors to Mr. Putin. The, the political people clearly were saying, don't mobilize, don't go to a draft, it'll lead to a pushback. But uh, the troops were so badly depleted, the military is now in, in, the, in the ascendant. So what all that means now is that the war has really been brought home inside Russia in a way it hadn't been before. It had really been masked from the Russian heartland. Dagestan and Chechnya had been providing a lot of the troops, which have been killed in substantial numbers, perhaps 80,000 or so casualties by now. So what we have now is pushback at home with people fleeing Russia, criticism, criticism growing inside Russia, and, and advances by Ukraine on the ground. Elliot Tepper with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, updating us on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Elliot, uh, as you so adequately uh, said at the beginning of all of this, time to put this behind us and uh, remember the things we do have. And have yourself a great Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you. Same to you, Scott, and everybody listening. Colin James, First Ontario Performing Arts Centre tomorrow night. Congratulations to all those of you who won tickets on Hammerhead Trivia. Uh, the new one is uh, Open Road is the album. Down on the bottom is this song. Colin James is with us now. Colin, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, man. I have a day off today. so it's- <laughs> Good for you. So that being said, uh, I'm sure you had a lot of days off in the last two and a half years. What was it like for you getting through this global pandemic when, obviously, for a living, you get out there and entertain? Well, I think for musicians, I'm sure there's other people who are respected as we were, but for musicians and techs and uh, monitor people and front of house people and lighting people, it was a harsh two years. You know, it's like uh, never before has everything just dried up. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you know it was a challenge, and uh, it's a challenge for me, and I'm sure it was a challenge for a lot of people. And we're back, you know. And um, what are you gonna do? We we'll just move on. 
You know, many have said, and we've talked to many industries, many businesses, and it's pretty hard to go through something for two and a half years and come out the other end and be the same, be the same person. Is it any different from you now? Is it any different for you when you get up on stage and for the first time see all those people after, you know, a couple of years? Is it different now? See, not really. I mean, you know, our job is always the same. You know, we hmm. uh, that doesn't change, but your I guess your appreciation of the of the situation changes. Uh, I used to take it for granted. I used to say to people, you know, they can take my royalties, they can Spotify me, they can Apple Music me, hmm. but they can't take away live music. <laughs> that was my phrase, and then I found that was not true. Um, so now we're back, man. If it wasn't like we just did about, uh, a bunch of dates with buddy guy. And if it wasn't for buddy guy getting me out there, I wouldn't even, you know, I got a head start at least, um, uh, down in, you know, down in the States, of course, everybody kind of stopped, started working before we did. So I am uh, really happy. I got a chance to do that. So get my fingers back in shape, you know? So what is it like to get out there for the first time when you haven't done it for a while and, and playing from an, in front of an audience? Unbelievable. I think it's unbelievable for us because we're doing it again and, and going through all that that we used to after, for, after so long. And I think for the audience, it's kind of the same thing. I think we're only just starting to uh, take down our, our caution, you know, so it's like you have an audience that's receptive. You got the musicians who are ready to go. It's a perfect combination. So uh, obviously off for a couple of years. What does that do for your writing? Because there's only—is it like the only thing left to do? Uh, did you did you delve into that a lot? I, re- I made a record. You know, I made a record and I did a I did a blog, like a video blog about my guitars and the different years of my guitars and different songs. It was on YouTube was called on the couch and you know i did that with my wife we had a chance to you know sit and work together and try to get through it and um i made a record you know long distance uh, my producer lives in london england so you know we had to start at eight o'clock his time at night which was 11 o'clock a.m my time hmm. and it seemed like it was going to be a terrible experience and i can't say it was my favorite but I can say technology worked like a charm. I tell will it, say that. Like, so, sorry. Tell us about Open Road and some of the people you have on the album. Well, here's the thing about the last three three records I've made. It's all my band. You know, it's all my band. It's all players that tour with me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, in the past, I used to get you know star players and star drummers and, and which is fine. You know, um, uh, you know, I, I thank the day I got Chuck Lavelle to play on little big band one, you know, mm. it was great. It was a great thing, but I'm really proud of these records cause we did it all in house. Uh, uh, you know, it's all the people I'm on the road with. Everyone that's on this record is on the road with me. And, uh, I love that. And you brought up the little big band. Are we going to see that in the future? I mean, you got so many things on your plate. Well, it's the 30th anniversary coming up right next year. So mm. in 1991, so uh, was the little big band one. And uh, I think we're looking at maybe a few select shows, uh, maybe a live recording 
of maybe the best of the three little big band records. Hmm. Uh, and that, you know, that'll be great. I'm looking forward to that. I don't, I don't necessarily want to make a big deal of it. I just kind of want to go and touch on it, enjoy Shirley and enjoy Cadillac Baby and have some fun and then get out. <laughs> what is it? What is it like to sit there, Colin, and say uh, the 30th anniversary of the Little Big Band's coming up next year? Like, holy smokes, where did that go? Well, I know, right? And you know, I'm in a kind of a unique position right now because I'm I'm kind of forging a new life in America right now. So, you know, we are we're heading off to the uh, Mexico with the Blues Cruise coming up. We're touring California in January. I almost feel like I'm starting all over again. Like, you know, I'm playing the Troubadour in late January in Los Angeles. Hmm. You know, like, uh, life has changed in the way that our, our scope has widened and America's kind of opening up to me. So we just have a whole bunch of work in front of us, you know. Uh, really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's got to be work and we're going to go out there and do it. And I love it. Colin James is back. The new album is Open Road. And, of course, you can see him tomorrow night, First Ontario Performing Arts Center uh, in Hamilton, October 8th. Colin James. Colin, thanks so much for the time. Have a great show tomorrow, and uh, best of luck moving forward. Thanks, man. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Scott Radley is going to be joining us, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, it couldn't be better. Scott, it's a Friday of a long weekend. What possibly could be better? Uh, well, it'd be nice if the Jays were winning. Seattle, I believe it's uh, top of the six right now. Seattle over the Jays, 4 nothing. I uh, want to weigh in on this. The opener of the wild card game. Yeah, and Alec Manoa, the Blue Jays pitcher, who had essentially been unhittable in the first inning for months, all of a sudden gives up three runs and a home run in the first inning and can't find home plate. And, you know, that's... That's baseball. You've got a 24-year-old guy who is clearly, when you watch him, just amped beyond belief, and it takes him an inning to settle down, and that's the difference plus one at this point. And uh, if they don't start hitting, well, then it doesn't matter anyway. So uh, it, w- it was interesting because they were on this morning, uh, you know, before the uh, the media and such taking questions, and I'm, l- I'm listening to Bo Bichette, and, you know, you, you watch him do his thing and whatever, and then every so often he'll make a mistake. And then when he sits down and speaks, you realize just how young some of these guys are. Like, they're like babies when you think about it. Well, as you and I and other people listening begin to, um, you know, when we write our age down, it starts with a I was five about age, now. yeah. Everybody's um, old. Everybody's young does. Is that what you're saying, Scott? Well, <laughs> there was a point probably, well, I don't know how many years ago it was, when it dawned on me that now I reached that point where there is not a single player playing professional sports, basically, who is my age. Who's your age, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I, it's funny because last night I was emceeing a, a – Hamilton Ticats alumni dinner. Danny McManus is being put up on the wall of honor at Tim Hortons Field tonight. Yep. They were honoring Danny McManus and the 1972 team that won the Grey Cup, remember, at home 50 years ago. And, you know, you look at that and you think that when you were a kid, everybody was so heroic. And, yeah. and the athletes that you watched, it was <laughs> it was so out of your reach. And they, even though they may only have been in their 20s or early 30s, they were, I don't know if you called them old men, but they were men. They were yeah. 
you know, and then, as I say, you get to that point where all of a sudden you look and you're right. Now you look and you go, Alec Manoa honestly looks like he could be in grade 12. I mean, he's a yeah. giant man, but his face, he's got a baby face. He looks like yeah. he could be in grade 12. And then I go out and try and throw the ball with my son every once in a while. And my shoulder wants to like throw me off the face of the earth because it's screaming so much. And I was like, yeah, those days are gone. We're, we're the, They are babies. We are now not. It's like going to a class reunion and you're looking at everybody and you're going, why do they also look so old as if you uh -huh. don't? Well, some of them do, though, Scott. <laughs> some of them in those class That's right. reunions, I, I think they I said that, do look old. I think I said that to somebody because they were dressing like our parents, but I digress. It's funny you talk about age and sport. I remember a long time ago talking to Ron Fellows, who's Canadian race car yes, driver, yes, uh, you know, uh, Le Mans champ, and taught the Earnhardts how to road race and Sideshow owns Mossport. And uh, he took my son and I uh, for a ride around the track in, in a Corvette. This was many years ago. And, and so probably I was maybe 51 or 52 at the time. And I remember saying to him, why is racing car driver Mark Martin retiring? He is in phenomenal shape. This guy's got a six-pack. He works out for hours every single day. He's just turned 50. Why is he? I don't get it. Like, what? And he basically explained to me how he was in a race one time and uh, driving for Dale Jr., and there was a little spot that opened up, and he just asked himself for a split microsecond whether he should go. And, of course, that decision cost him uh, not only the position but put him into the guardrail. And then, uh, so basically, the moral of the story here is reaction time. It doesn't matter how great shape you are in, you don't have the reaction time of a younger person. Which now, makes when sense. he was doing that and racing at that age, did he drive the entire way with his left turn blinker on? No, no, not at all. No, and, and, and you could barely see him over the steering wheel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He had a little hat on, and he only raced right. on Sundays in the that's afternoon. Right. And Miss Daisy um, was in the back seat. It is. It is something, though, that um, you can still obviously you can still enjoy watching sports, but it it does. It's a different perspective. It, yeah. You don't. I don't think now as an adult. Maybe you think differently, but as someone my age, I don't look at these guys as heroes now the way I did when I was a kid. I look at them as amazing athletes who do amazing things. And sports is still very much every bit is dramatic and every bit is emotional. It's just, I, and maybe it's only because I work in the business too. Maybe it's because I've interviewed so many that it's changed mm. it, but I don't see them. Bernie Perrant was my all-time hero. The goalie for the Philadelphia yeah, Flyers yeah. was my all-time hero. To this day, he's the one guy that I would probably get blah, 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 if I ever ran into him that I wouldn't know what to say properly because that was that was uh, that was my youth. Bernie Perrant was everything. Yeah. I can't name someone today that I'm watching where I would say the same thing about that person. That may be, as I say, because I work in the business, or it may just be a perception and perspective when you get older. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend. You as well, Scott. Go easy on the trip to fan. I will. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. Greatly appreciated. Thanks to the two Wills and Diana and Dave in the newsroom for helping out. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. What do you got? Is that more gravy? Give me the gravy. I want the mashed potatoes. No, pass the mashed potatoes down here. Mmm. Oh, it's ham. This is fantastic. Starting early. 